Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast Christmas Special. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, Merry Christmas Eve to one and all, um, or if you're listening on Christmas Day, Merry Christmas to you and your whole family gathered round listening to the Distraction Pieces Podcast, largely because our guest is Simon Pegg, which we're very excited about, you, you're very excited about. Um, so I'm not even going to talk that long at the beginning this week, I'm going to get straight through to the interview, I'm going to quickly cover our sponsors. We have one sponsor this week, it is my record label, Speech Development a Records, head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com or scroobiuspip.co.uk for all the podcasts, for um, to buy t-shirts dvds cds i've got my live show my edinburgh fringe live show up there which got five star reviews throughout so that's a bargain um t-shirts mugs all sorts um and you can get 10% off at the moment for december if you enter the code sdr10 so go and check that out um but now it's time for the christmas special podcast it was really it's, it's great to get to sit down with simon um we hadn't caught up in a while so it was a really good a really a good excuse to do so um stick around at the end because i'm going to tell you i'm going to give a bit of a spoiler of some of the people we've got lined up for next year's distraction pieces podcasts um including the person i believe to be the best living british stand-up comedian um and just a load of really good people so yeah check that out at the end but for now enjoy simon Pegg. And that's literally it. We've started. It's begun. We're rolling. How are you? I'm here with Mr. Simon Pegg. How Hello. you doing, man? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm very good. Look at getting in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, this is our Christmas special. What yeah. is? I should start with what is a, a Christmas in the Pegg household. It's, a it's very... already looking very Christmassy. It's nice. <laughs> Obviously, oh, um, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not actually here on Christmas Eve. That'd be a, a wonderful thing. But yeah, yeah. We should have gone with that. That would have yeah, been great. We should have gone live. Uh, it's very family oriented. And I'm a massive, for such a an angry atheist as I am, I yeah. love Christmas. It's I'm the same. It's I, think, I, don't, I, I think too many of my atheist friends l- 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 let religion ruin Christmas for yeah. them. They get too angry about the fact it's a religious event. It's like, ah, it's a good time. It's a great time. It's and also, a it's, a very, time. it's a pagan festival as well. It's like, I, I was talking to someone recently about the whole thing of, I think it was Constantinople was having to appease two groups of people, yeah. the Christians and the pagans. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. why Christmas is, you know, it's like, a, it's as much a pagan festival as A friend as it is. of mine was saying, Arisi, that they're switching out because they're so against the Christianity side of it. They're switching over to celebrating paganism at Christmas. And my statement to them was, stop bringing religion into my Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Even bringing paganism in. There's, there's nothing to do. I don't want it to do with any of them. I want it to just like be the, a nice... I like all the, like songs the food and, and, and the stuff. songs and the... Yeah, I like singing... Uh, what was I singing? Holy Night. Beautiful. All the really gaudy ones I love. They're great. Yeah, well, we can end with a rendition of Holy <laughs> Night. I think that's already, that's already built up there. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about everything and anything, if that's okay with yeah. you. And I wanted to kind of start chronologically i think the first time i i saw you and 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 enjoyed your work was in big train um, wow, yeah, yeah. how was that to be a part of i think it's kind of a obviously it's got it's it's cult following but it's kind of an overlooked thing f- for what it was at the time i for think the so yeah. erraticness of it for the uh, surrealness of it for everything yeah it came out of um I remember, I think I was about 24 in the, when the day-to-day happened. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was such a sort of um, 
a game changer. I know that's an overused phrase, but it, yeah. it really was because it bought sort of Chris Morris and, and Steve Coogan and Armando Iannucci, the, the, the combination of their different styles of comedy, that sort of very naturalistic kind of documentary style. It was the forerunner to, you know, yeah. what eventually became The Office, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and it, it, it was it was so exciting. It was the most exciting thing, I think, since the comic strip had yeah, come about. completely. And I was just becoming a, you know, a sort of successful stand-up comic, and I'd done some gigs. Uh, and Graham Linehan, this is a few years later, and Arthur Matthews saw a gig and invited me to come along and audition for Big Train with wow. a bunch of other actors that they knew, of, which was Amelia, Kevin, and Julia, yeah. and Mark. And... Um, and we made a we made a pilot with Chris Morris directing, right? And um, I was just like, you know, and I'd also managed to get into I'm Alan Partridge the year before as yeah. well, which was yeah, extremely yeah, yeah, yeah. exciting because I was a massive fan of Steve's, and um, and it all happened those two ninety seven and ninety eight. I went on tour with Steve on ninety eight uh, for his Man Who Thinks He's at tour, which we did all around the country, and yeah. then went into the West End. And that year, big we filmed Big Train in ninety seven, and that aired in the summer of ninety eight. And it felt like we were on the very vanguard of what was happening in comedy. It was. Yeah. It felt it was a very fun shoot. The material was so funny to perform. Um, and it, it just felt special, you know. Yeah. So, so, so how was it just going off the day-to-day -day thing there? Like how was it to then be involved in Brass Eye as well and kind of <laughs> to jump into that? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, that dream there, surely. I was working in town the other night and, uh, and I, I was right down in Docklands. It's a long way from where I live. And I got a hotel. I thought I'd just stay down at the, you know, the Radisson or something. Yeah. And, and they had four on demand there. And I watched the whole of Brass Eye, Brilliant. every single episode, and that's the paedophile special. Yes. <laughs> Just because it's still so good, so so amazing to watch. I was, yeah, I remember when the guy, Chris did Blue Jam with everyone in Big Train apart from yep. me, and I remember feeling like, oh, why am I not in Blue Jam? Yeah, it's not fair. And it, 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 or no, it was called Jam on the TV. Yeah. And I, and um, so he called me one day and I and I and said, do you want to, can we have uh, a cup of tea? And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, because I thought he was amazing. And we sat down and he said, I'm going to do something really, really risky. Do you want in? <laughs> and we were, I can't remember, like yep. Car Carluccio's, I think, in, uh, in Fitzrovia. And, and I was like, yeah, all right. And he didn't tell me anything about it. He just said, this is going to get us all into a bit of trouble. Amazing. But yeah, it's it's something that's that I think has to be said, and it's, it's got to be the easiest pitch ever. Yeah, going to do something that's going to get us in trouble. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah let's. totally. And I, I remember the, the day after it aired, we all got named and shamed in the uh, the news of the world. Yeah, rest in peace. Uh, and it, I was a bit worried, but you know what? It was such an amazing thing to be part of because it was a very daring satire, and it wasn't just about. You know, people always going about, yeah, it was about the way the press sensationalised paedophilia. It was, yeah. it was a lot more complex than that. It was about the yeah, way that we sexualised children and our own our own sort of, uh, you know, relationship with sexuality. And it was just incredibly bold and incredibly smart. And it caused such a fuss that there were MPs who hadn't seen it who were saying, this is the most contemptible yeah. thing I've ever heard. It was yeah. incredible. I, th I think Chris is the master of that, of... of kind of, I think Four Lions is is another example. Yeah. We're going to have, have Riz on the, sh on the show in the new year who was in Four Lions. And I remember Riz talking to me when Chris had approached him and he yeah. was like, apparently it's just kind of mocking terrorists. And, and he was like, I'm a bit scared. It was like, but it's Chris. So I trust that when I actually hear more about it, you know, it's, it, it's, and it, it, it's exactly that. On, on all of these things, on the surface, it could be, 
a risky and offensive but yeah, yeah, in reality yeah. it's so intelligent and well written that it's such a good commentary on how we totally. as a public and as the media and everyone kind of respond to these things and i think four lines is a great example of of you know with with the pedophile uh brass eye special it was it was about you know because he spoke to an actual pedophile on that show and and let him just sort of drill himself into the ground yeah. as completely stupid and, and it, it, there wasn't at no point was he trying to humanize that act of abuse but in four lions he makes a very good job of humanizing the terrorists because we often are led to believe these people are just straight out evil evil villains evil villains and 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 what they do is is utterly abominable and atrocious but they are there's a misguidance there and a a, a, a lack a, a, you know a sort of dispossession that causes this kind of bizarre crusade and he he did a really good job of actually making them a bold and challenging thing to do totally. there finding sympathy finding the reason which again is hugely important to understand yeah these why things, not the, not how can this happen it's yeah. why does this happen yeah, you know exactly so yeah that's amazing um so obviously you you got to work with those guys and that was great and then spaced happened yeah how how was that that it, it felt like just complete creative control i'm sure it wasn't as simple as that but it felt it, like you guys were just playing and doing yeah. what you wanted to do and it was lightning in a bottle in terms of um how it was made i don't think it could possibly happen now because it would it would go on to you know digital or it would be yeah. this was back before the kind of you know the late 90s it was 97 we started writing it and i'd just done a show with edgar for the paramount comedy channel which was the paramount were trying to were basically showing like seinfeld and american imports but yeah. as buffers they were trying to create domestic content so they got a whole bunch of artists in comedians writers there was matt and dave started on matt, matt, yeah. matt lucas and dave williams yeah. started on there um lee francis started on there myself and edgar uh, we, we did a show called asylum which was this strange It'll never be released on video because I think there's too many people involved. The agents could never broker a right. deal. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it just being out. I don't want to. But it was a very funny, very strange sort of kind of comedy show set in an asylum yeah. where I played this pizza delivery boy who gets stuck there. He goes to deliver a pizza right. and then becomes, you know, mistaken for an inmate. Yeah, perfect. And um, an inmate, that's not the right word, a patient. And so I'd work with Jessica Stevenson, now Hines, on a on a comedy show for meridian tv called six pairs of pants 95 it's a lost classic look <laughs> yeah. it up if you can <laughs> i think there's some of it on youtube somewhere and i'm, uh, I'm ashamed that that's not on my list of things to discuss <laughs> six pairs of clearly, pants. Not, clearly that's not 20 years old like next year i can't Amazing. believe it but i'd been so impressed with jessica on that she'd blow me away she'd come along with katie carmichael who was in space who plays yeah. twist in space yeah. to the audition just as her mate and she'd audition for the hell of it and they'd loved her rightly so because yeah, she's incredible absolutely amazing and um and so i suggest that when, the first day of the, the the rehearsals for the asylum a couple of the acts that were there i won't mention them uh got a little bit um concerned about the material because it was they thought is this making a joke about mental health yeah, and yeah. You know, it probably was <laughs> to yeah. a degree but they kind of like oh, i don't like this and we didn't have any women and i suggested to edgar that this great girl jessica so she came along. We did Asylum. Jess and I did most of our stuff together in Asylum. And Edgar obviously fell in love with her. And um, and the Paramount Comedy Channel, one of the producers there moved to LWT. 
and had said, let's make a sitcom for Simon and Jessica. And we sort of said in our very naive um, uh, green around the, what's the word? I, know, I would say green around the gills. It's ill. Wet behind the ears. Wet behind the ears. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Green behind the ears. Um, we said, yeah, but we want to write it and make it because we're young. Yeah. <laughs> cool. yeah. And they were like, okay. And then, so we thought, the first person we thought of to do it was, It pays off when it goes like that. Yeah, when, I know. When, yeah. when your reaction is, yeah, we're going to do it. And they go, yes. It's like, I, cool. Yeah, okay. I, it's amazing. I, I look back and I think, oh my God, we were so lucky yeah. that they even entertained the idea. And Edgar was the guy that, you know, Edgar had really impressed us both on Asylum and, and he came on board. And I remember he bought a book. I was around at Jess's house and we were writing episodes of the show and he bought this book and he showed us the storyboards for the script and it yeah. was it was like a piece of, it was a Shankara stone. He was like the third Shankara stone. Yeah, yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is it. This is how it's going to look. And because that's all Edgar, you know, the way yeah. the visual style of space, which is. And that th- became absolutely iconic. Yeah. Like, it hadn't been seen before absolutely. and it just seemed to. It, I think part of it was the comfortableness and boldness of, of borrowing from other places, of yeah, referencing yeah, yeah. and things like that. Not that stupid thing of, or no, the simple thing of realizing everyone is influenced by a million things. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can be proud of that and happy about it and have these have these visual uh, references and also have completely unique and original stylings and the, totally. cut, the, the, the cutting style and everything in there and expect people to kind of just keep up and get stuff and and the fact is we were of a generation that kind of lived their lives through popular culture and, yeah. and all our reference points in art and music and what have you you know these these characters in this show they live their lives literally through the prism of that stuff so everything so a trip to the shop would be like oh it's like an episode of such and such or again into a thing was like it was like the matrix what we did was we just literally showed that yeah and um and also it was very influenced by the simpsons and shows like northern exposure which had a kind of magical realism to them and stuff and and you know just by sheer luck they gave us a series on channel four is on a main channel yeah uh, because the the digital age hadn't started, you know, so there was no E4 and there was no yeah. BBC Three. So, so that's it. You, you either get that chance or you don't. Yeah, essentially, yeah. there's not the. And we went on after Friends on a Friday night. Oh, you wow, know? that's amazing! <laughs> it was crazy, but lovely. And it didn't, you know, it didn't make a huge splash when it aired, but it has since. It built and built, and again, yeah. I think its 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 influence showed. So, how was it? Um, are working in in that scenario with Edgar with Nick with with Jessica, how was that kind of? Did it seem like all your dr- dr- dreams were being handed to you there? To just go, bit. here we go, just play, enjoy yourselves. Well, because we've been because it had all happened so easily, it was like you know you 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 get a little bit of freedom and you start thinking, oh, maybe I can start insisting on. Yeah. I know this really great actor who could play this part of Mike, and yeah. well, I didn't know an actor; I knew a waiter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah know? exactly. And so, and so. And I think they looked him up on uh, on Equity, and there was a Nick Frost at the time, and it wasn't my Nick Frost. <laughs> and they just said, "Oh, fine." And it was incredible. And even Edgar was like, "Really? He's just your mate? Do you, do you think this is a good idea?" And obviously, Nick came along he delivered and delivered hugely. Yeah, it was fun. I remember the first day we worked on walked onto the set of this flat and just saw it all and realized that someone had extrapolated a physical environment from this vague description in the script and just blown away by the detail and the minutiae and and how they got it and it was it was just like a bunch of friends messing around with a big you know train set as Orson Welles put it and and when it kind of comes that easy at the time I'd imagine a lot of it you can't truly appreciate until further the, the, down your career where you're working in completely more yeah. restrained or different situations so has that been a case of reflecting back and going 
wow that actually absolutely. how did we get away with that <laughs> absolutely and how it, did it work <laughs> i know it's like retrospect now and that goes for Shaun of the dead as well it yeah. it, it happened very smoothly and and we were very fortunate um, in a lot of ways, you know, in terms of the people that we collaborated with and the people that we met. Uh, and I'm thinking about film four and working title yeah. and the people that I had dinner last night with uh, the script supervisor of Sean, Rachel, who's who I've, Rachel Pryor, who I've now known for a long time. She's one of yeah. my great friends. I met her back then. And we tend to, you, I mean, you know this, you meet people and you like them and you just want to stay working yeah, with them. You know, you build a kind that. of family around you. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I do. I look back and think, wow, that was lucky. But at the same time, I think we had the best possible support. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's all good to be uh, be lucky, but th- it then has to deliver. It's, yeah, it's, you it's, have to it, have the, the, you the, need the some luck to get a chance, but then you need everything else to turn that chance into something that's actually yeah actually there. So, so how was it then t- taking it up a notch with Shaun of the Dead? And that that seemed to then, I mean, it was amazing f- for me as a fan of space because any time any cult type tv thing is get or is getting a, a film opportunity even though it wasn't obviously a spaced film but it yeah, was you know yeah. uh, there's the panic that it can't work and it can't deliver. i mean it, everyone had it with partridge when that was happening recently and it delivered in, in it was, droves. Very it was funny, absolutely yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. it was the fear though that wow they're gonna r- r- ruin our little british yeah, yeah, yeah. odd tv show um so how was that to get to do that and then obviously it was that that seemed to be what made America embrace you and Nick and Edgar and you know all of you as a as a collective essentially. Absolutely, it was um, you know Edgar and I bonded on the set of Spaced on all our sort of movie um, touchstones and we were very similar in our likes and, yeah. and realized how much we loved Romero's zombie films and we did that little bit of Spaced where I'm kind of lost in Resident yeah. Evil just yeah, so yeah, we yeah, could yeah. sort of you know, have a very tenuously create a little zombie sequence, yeah. you know. And at the end of that day, we said, let's, we should do a movie. Like it was just available to us. To yeah, do. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so we, you know, in the, in the, in the break between space series two, well, we started to think about it between one and two, and then we did it after series two, we wrote the script and, and, um, film four kind of liked the idea. They were looking for new people yeah. new talent so they were very attracted to edgar it was always a film director yeah you know when you watch his television he directs television like film people yeah, always say why completely. didn't you make a spaced movie you know and yeah. it's because the point of spaced was that it was like huge things happening in a small place yeah. it was like it, it, it it's a television show it's not yeah. a film yeah, the yeah, minute yeah. you start putting those kind of um techniques and those kind of uh, the visual flourishes on the big screen it's very at home up there yeah, it looks, it's where it's meant it's to, be. Where it's spaced to be spaced is a spaced movie yeah spaced is a kind of a, just, it's in a little place yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. but so what we thought to sort of like you know transfer from the small screen to the big screen was we'd, we'd create something completely different and, and actually mm. make a film and and yeah, we we wrote it on Berwick Street in a really stinking sort of loft room that smelt like Soho. <laughs> and uh, Film Four picks it up. They developed it, but then they they went into turnaround because they lost money on a number of features and they had to kind of downsize a little bit. So very kindly, they gave us the film back. And and I remember we were sitting in Starbucks on the day Joe Strummer died. All me and Edgar and Naira Park, our producer, mm-hmm. we just all sat around and Jim Wilson as well, who was from Film 4, who kind of came with us, actually. he just produced Under the Skin. Have you seen that? That yeah, was amazing yeah, yeah, film. Yeah, 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 amazing. Um, and just thinking, what are we going to do? And 
working title who we knew a little bit, we'd had a few meetings there, Eric Fellner and Natasha Wharton there, um, they said they would make it for us. And and I think there were a few stipulations, but nothing terrible. It wasn't yeah. like any kind of artistic integrity was being yeah, threatened. Yeah. Certainly not. They're, I love them. They've been fantastic to us. And that was how that relationship started. And, um, you know, May 2003, Nick and I started sifting through records in a garden in Crouch End. Fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and, yeah, and then what happened was, I guess, it came out in April in the UK, and then we had Harry Knowles on Ain't It Cool News, uh, which is the big movie website in the States. Right, yeah. It's a fantastic uh, guy, character, big film nerd who became, who really sort of was the first of the internet power players. The champion, yeah. yeah, to get on board. And he basically got the film a distribution by by giving it such a massive word, word, of, math, word of math on the on the site and it eventually was released in the US in November. Amazing. And uh and then it and then we got all these quotes from, you know, like Tarantino saw it and Peter Jackson and 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 it, it was great and I think a lot of those directors were very much like Edgar and that they were film fans who had become filmmakers yeah. and they saw a lot of themselves in him and and so he just got all this support, and it was it was kind of amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you take all that in at that point when you've it's been that kind of not necessarily quick but constant a ride to yeah. like wow Tarantino has, <laughs> has 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 is into our film. How how does that hit you? It's weird. I mean, you expect these things to. I don't know what you expect to happen when you ha- when you you achieve some kind of goal or or some, or some fantasy comes true whether you're supposed to melt or explode or what but you don't you life goes on and you sort of you know part of the the, the thing about Shaun of the Dead was that it it it, it was about how it, even in extraordinary circumstances normality kind of prevails you know yeah. even if there is a, an alien invasion you probably are still scared of spiders yeah it's yeah, not yeah, going to change yeah, anything yeah, you know yeah. you still have the same little kind of enmities between yeah. you and certain people you know, the whole thing with myself and Dylan Moran in the movie is is that kind of, even though there's a zombie attack, they, I still hate We're David. Still and the he's rivalry still, and yeah, still, yeah. yeah, perfect. So in that respect, those kind of crazy things were happening and, and you just sort of, I remember we were at the, at the premiere of Shaun of the Dead in LA and uh, at the Arclight, which is yeah. a great yeah, yeah, movie yeah, place, yeah, sun, sunlight and sunlight, sunset. <laughs> and, uh, and Quentin Tarantino came to the show and, uh, Edgar had already met him and was the best pals of them, of course, yeah. you know. And uh, and I sort of met him and sat with him and, and then we went to this, the Cat and the Fiddle after, which was an right. English pub on Sunset. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I, I it was so, it was just all so normal. It was yeah. like nothing else, nothing had changed. The world hadn't flipped over. It was just like here we were sat with fucking Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. But absolutely insanely not insane. Yeah. And then really we went, normal. I remember, like, we went to his, he's got a really lovely movie theatre in his house and mm. we went there to watch something. And he had, like, a little picture of Nick and me and him on on the side. And <laughs> Nick and I were just like... Uh, the, the, the funny thing That's is, amazing. in 1994, Nick and I, one of our first dates, we met in 93, <laughs> we went to see Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And we we bonded over it immensely because we loved it so much. You know, it's such an incredible movie. And that year, Nick bought me a Pulp Fiction T-shirt for Christmas uh, with Jules and uh, and Vincent on the front. You know, oh, holding the guns yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we found ourselves, you know, in that man's house, the man who'd made that film, in his house, looking at this picture and not being able to compute how the hell how any of this happened, has happened. You know, but it just did. I guess. Uh, how much of it do you think? 
I think a lot of people don't, I don't realise that so much of these things, such a huge percentage of it, this is going to sound stupid now, is just doing it. Yeah. So the fact that you said, let's write a zombie film, and mm. then you did. You didn't just say, as a lot of people, let's write a zombie film, that would be great, and then talk about it for years and never actually do it. The That's fact that you true. went, let's, let's do that, and then you actually did it, and yeah. then it kind of it took its natural course. Absolutely, and I think now, even more so now than then, it, this is a time when just doing it is is, is supremely possible. It's so actually a thing that can happen. You know, yeah. you, everyone has a, a, a camera and an editing suite in their pocket now, yeah. you know. yeah. And uh, the the idea of, of of oh I can't do it because I can't get this and that is is sort of evaporating very quickly. You can get and you can and you can get it onto a platform and it will be seen. And things that are good tend to you know they get views and likes yeah, I and mean, all this kind it's of stuff. Exactly as you'd said, how 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 as Shaun of the Dead spread from word of mouth in America, and it was one person championing it and one person who was kind of in charge of a lot of the blogging over there yeah that's even more accessible now it's kind of where there's so much more ability for word of mouth to spread internationally it's it's really it's an open, open it's weird a blank canvas there it's an open a very, canvas a blank book it's an open <laughs> it's an open blanders. uh it's it's weird though because it's become a very clamorous marketplace in the in that the internet the best thing the internet ever did was give everybody a voice and the worst thing it ever did was give everybody a voice. Yeah, just make you realise that <laughs> there's a lot of idiots. It's like, oh, really? That's not the voice I'd hoped the internet yeah, well, would that, have. That's the, the, the unfortunate thing is it's kind of it's kind of democratised some of the worst things about people, the internet, yeah, because yeah. it's enabled people who would norm, keep, or ordinarily keep their sort of um, bitterness to themselves to find community in that. Yeah negativity and suddenly you have you know there's a word now hater but a person who is just predisposed predisposed to to hating and it's it's a shame in a way because i feel like it's legitimized a lot of bad things yeah i think i, I think all of it i think it it's something that you could discuss for for years and years because i think it's so intricate i think the invention of haters is horrible for the idea of a hater but then it's also um, allows people to have the illusion that if anyone legitimately criticises something, that they're a hater. It's mm. like sometimes you need to hear some stuff. Sometimes it's good to have that. But absolutely, it's like it's now easy to go, oh, haters. It's like maybe not. Maybe That's, maybe it, you yeah. need to take a little bit of a lesson from that. Kind of, you it's know? true. It does. It does actually sort of um, cloud this field of, of of constructive criticism. Yeah. You know. Yeah because you can dismiss it as being hubris when actually it's it yeah. might be there might be valid points out there yeah yeah you know it's always interesting yeah are you do you spend a lot of time online are you an internet fan that sounds like a ridiculous question but you know do you, I'm a fan of a the lot of people internet. avoid it a, a lot of people particularly in in public eye will choose to yeah. preserve their own creativity or whatever by avoiding are you do you embrace well, I just recently left Twitter. I just yeah. I deleted my Twitter, and I and I and I, f I, I, I had a good five years. Yeah. But I started to um, I started to question it more and more because I just suddenly thought I had a bit of a Zoolander moment when I just thought, "Who am I?" I was looking into a puddle and I saw my reflection. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I thought, "Why am I doing this?" Because what I want to be is an actor. I don't want to be... I, I try very hard in all other areas of my life not to be a celebrity. Yeah. And I've been having to do press and stuff. You do sometimes have to go to yeah. the events. It's and part you, of the It's the part game. of the thing. And you, you, but you, you, if you don't seek it out, you know, then you can sort of preserve a little bit of yourself. 
Whereas Twitter is is actually a kind of personal celebrity generator. You, yeah. you create your own celebrity one person at a time. And I think for an actor, it's... I, I suddenly thought, well, I, I shouldn't be doing this because when if I have a film come out, yes, I can sort of like... Which is what I thought written initially was, oh, I can use it as a yeah. pro- promotional yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, which I would do. And... And I, that even that though would feel like oh geez I'm really hammering this and I people are going to be bored of it. But what if I have a film come out? I want people to go oh I haven't seen him for a while. I wonder what he's up to. Not oh yeah, yeah I know what he had for breakfast this morning. Yeah, I mean because <laughs> yeah. that's it. It's it's easy. It's easy to. F- <sighs> It's easy to forget that everyone on Twitter is just a person yeah. and everyone in these films and everything else. So it's easy for you to forget that you're not just a person, that you're an actor, that you're this thing. So a, a friend of mine, a, a Flux Pavilion, who's a musician, a producer, he had a had a similar a recollection of his, or realisation. He was like, hang on, I make music and I've just posted about popping down t- t- <laughs> t- t- to the shop for something. It's like... That's not relevant in any way to my music. No, if, no, if, if you feel it can lend to something else, then that's legitimate. But you forget that I'm just talking and treating it like all my friends who are on Facebook or Twitter or whoever. Yeah. But that's not who I am. I'm a public persona as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah you got to choose if you wish to share that. I, I think. It, yeah. I, th- I. I don't. I didn't leave because I didn't think. Oh, Twitter is rubbish. I don't. I. I still. Uh, you know. I. I totally get the value of it, and some people. It, it, for some people, it's it's necessary. If you're yeah. if you're like, if, if you're a stand up comedian, and I think this is where I kind of got into trouble, and your bread and butter is getting people to you know find what you say funny and yeah. come and see you, then it's great in a way because you can make jokes on it, you can publicize your tours or whatever. Because that's what your job is, is to be that person. Yeah, you know, often, yeah. you know, stand-up comedians are, unless they play characters, but are generally themselves telling jokes or whatever. Yeah, of course. I think it is. It is very worthwhile for a lot of people but for me i just i started to get a little uncomfortable with the degree of narcissism involved in twitter because it kind of i started thinking well, who gives a fuck what i say or yeah. you know the, the thing it was when people started dying i know that started a long long time ago yeah but it's been around it's been around it's, been around, it's, it's not new it's, it's com it's pre-internet it's, it's popular <laughs> it is pre-internet um i you know when someone died that that I knew or that I respected, you'd feel compelled to to write a little one forty character obit, you know, or yeah. sad to see them go, whatever. And then I don't know. Every now and again, that would happen, and suddenly Sky News would run it. Oh well, this, you know. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, does everything have to be shone through the prism yeah. of famous people? Just what? How the does that legitimize anything? Yeah, it's crazy. I think it's it, one of the great negative things about Twitter. I, I I love Twitter, but I am aware of the negative yeah, yeah. sides of it as well. And one of the great negatives there is that that has become. Um, or that can be referred to now as journalism, which is disgusting. The fact yeah. that people will report, here's here's a news story, and I'll go, I know that news story because that was a tweet, and you've <laughs> written a whole article about a 140-character tweet. You've yeah. padded that out, and that's that's been your research for today. That's been totally. your journalism. You've got up and looked on Twitter. It's become like a resource for journalists to just, like, crib quotes. Yeah, exactly. And particularly when it's about someone, you know, someone who's, died i started to feel like even i saw someone somebody died and i said you know very honestly and without any kind of like i hope someone picks up on this sorry to see them go and 
and I saw it picked up on, on in the paper or something, and I was furious because I just thought, oh, I didn't put it on That's there not for the that, point you know. Of it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I remember when Rick Mayo died, I was, you know, it was just terribly upsetting because I, I worked with him and I knew him, and he was my hero as a kid. Yeah. I, I loved him dearly, and and I remember agonizing over what. Because I couldn't say nothing. Yeah. I had to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't want to write anything that it's could such be such an picked odd situation that's a self-imposed and yeah. self-inflicted thing. You've chosen to be on this 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 media n- network. Yeah, and now- it's it's like I remember I was talking about something once, and I don't know. I tweeted some asinine comment about something, and someone tweeted back me. Don't you know Brittany Murphy just died? Yeah. Like I no, I didn't actually, no. and it, it was like I was I was lambasted yeah. for not making. A I've comment. had the same. I've had issues before of t- tweeting stuff having not read the news that morning. Yeah, I've and then stuff so can times. then seem to be related, or and it's not. It's completely unrelated. But yeah, yeah. I went to a I went to a t shirt shop in Vancouver called Bang. Yeah. On the morning of the Boston bombing, and I and I tweeted a thing about it just popped into Bang, amazing, blah blah blah, and I got so much anger from people going, "How dare you? That's so insensitive." And I yeah. genuinely hadn't seen the story. Yeah. And even when I even when I did see the story, I felt, wait a minute, that's a little unfair. And then it's weird because <sighs> then you're. Why are you having to think? Shall I argue that this isn't you know you know why are you having to then have that inner conversation? No, I don't. I don't think that is wrong. It's like, <laughs> no, this is horrible. It's just, so beside the point. Yeah. Then the other like a couple of months ago, my uh, I'm very good friends with Crispian Mills uh, of the uh, who was the, obviously the frontman of Kudushaker, but who, yeah. which my wife looked after their promo back in the day was their publicist. And my mum. I used to work with his mum. Oh, with Hayley? Apparently, yeah, yeah, apparently at some point. And we made a film together nice. and now we're right, we're, he's a, you know, he has film in his DNA. He's from, yeah. he's from a dynasty and he's an incredible writer and we just, we're writing a movie, another movie together at the moment. So Amazing. we're always, you know, we're, we're in touch and we're, we're, we're good friends. And he, he told me when Richard Attenborough died and he, mm. he, he, he emailed me, you know, cause he, he was a friend of the family and, but he knew before anybody else, and he told me, and I thought it was common knowledge. So I, you know, dutifully tweeted a picture of Dickie in in, yeah. in, in a film, and just said, and, and also did another one of those things where I tried to make it unquotable. Yeah. And then I got all this hate. He's not dead. And I and I couldn't say. Well, he is actually. actually. And it just put me in this awful situation of like, oh, how do you manage this minefield yeah. of? of insensitivity and, and etiquette which is so unwritten there's no criteria for it yet you know yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's a weird one it's it's kind of unrelated but it, i heard a great quote last night um i was at one of uh, robin ince's nights uh, where oh, yeah, yeah. scientist comedians the monkey cage thing, yeah yeah, yeah. Or, or link an offshoot of the monkey cage ones. Right, right. um and he had a scientist there that was talking about cancer he's a, he's a researcher he's and he kind of started with you know obviously it's the sad fact that a a one in three people will die of cancer. But the good news is the other two will die as well. Uh, just of something else. Just, you, we don't know what that'll be. It could be anything. It's like, that's a brilliant fact that you don't think about when you yeah, hear these depressing. Totally. They're all going to, the other two are going to die as well. It's not just you. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So, so relax on that. That's genius. Um, how was it th- moving on from Shaun of the Dead to work on Hot Fuzz? Um, essentially the same set up and and task yet suddenly it's i assume a load more pressure a load more a far bigger thing a far bigger deal because the first one that didn't have to do well did amazingly yeah did you feel that pressure or was it just kind of a uh, this is we know what we're doing we've done a whole series with me and my my mates we've done a film yeah this is just going to keep going this is how they 
they felt when they were making The Godfather. There was very little effort, just strolled along. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, no, it was a difficult <laughs> second album. It was, it was, yeah. you know, it's the same. It, it, I guess it's the same as you know when you write your first album, you you put on every song you ever wrote, and yeah. then the second one, you it's a blank slate. Cool. It was a harder film to write. We came at it with a little bit more. Um, wherewithal and know-how and Edgar was a better film director and we were both better writers and mm-hmm. uh, and we made I think a technically better film Ed, weirdly though we, we did a screening of um, of a double bill of the two of them in at the New Beverly in LA a couple of years ago and we watched it sat and watched it together the first the first time we watched both films together yeah. in a long time and Hot Fuzz was the one that we would change the most now right there were cuts oh, and you know Shaun of the Dead felt like that's yeah. wouldn't touch it Hot Fuzz it's two hours long and there's a couple of moments that could probably get a little bit tightened up yeah um, but nevertheless it was hell to write but enormous fun to make yeah. and it was you know to get all the people that we had in it you know, these incredible stalwarts of the British acting Brosnan. community. Yeah, oh, and Brosnan was in World's End. We had Dalton yeah. in... Oh, uh, Dalton, sorry, yeah. Dalton, It's sorry. another Bond. It's an easy yeah. mistake to Just make. a Bond. A yeah. Bond. We had a Bond in it. Yeah. And Edward Woodward, you know, one of yeah. it was one of Edward's last films, and Billy Whitelaw, and uh, it was just such a a great environment to, to make a film in, and we all went back to Wells in Somerset, where yeah. Edward grew up, and it was enormous fun, and... Paddy in that one was yeah. just 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 the moustache line was just is just still going to be a highlight of of, of all cinema. It's great. Paddy takes some cajoling sometimes because he he kind of he kind of when he, when he watches himself he's like oh, it's crap kind of thing. Yeah, and he, you know because he's such a talent and and yeah. I remember just he had a wobble before we started shooting. He wasn't sure he didn't want it to do it. And it's like you, you how can you not you know you are. It, it, didn't take him long to talk him down but he's yeah. always uh you know he's the first person to criticize himself yeah it. he's great yeah um so, so, so yeah continuing on then obviously w- w- with paul i mean there's loads in between the but but with paul um how was that to work without edgar and 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 for it to be a you and nick and to be working with an alien and to be working <laughs> with um a, a kirsten a yeah, Christian, sorry, and and, yeah, and and how was that to kind of jump out of the? Here's our little our safe spot with our friends in England that we've made tons of films now on yeah. TV to suddenly be you know in control out there. It was amazing and educational and um, emotionally, it was it was a real roller coaster because I had we had our baby over there when during the shoot wow. yeah, in, yeah, yeah, Tilly yeah. In, uh, in LA when we were in Santa Fe I was, yeah. I was flying back and forth from uh, from New Mexico every weekend um, oh man it was crazy but the actual process of making it came from a I remember we were all in the in the gardens in Cratch End making um, making Sean and it was raining and we couldn't get the scene with the records because uh, the, the cloud and the sun was so erratic. We could, we had to kind of, you, you know, obviously you decide what lighting yeah. kind of state you're going to do the scene in. Is it going to be sun or is it going to be cloud? And then you have to stick to that. Yeah. So you think, okay, let's do it in cloud. And the sun comes out for 12 yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're sat there and it was a rainy day. That's it. And Nara said, can't we make something where it's never 
raining. Yeah. And so Nick and I spitballed Paul. We just said, okay, yeah, there's two guys and they're in the desert somewhere and they find an alien and the alien, they have to give him a lift back. And it was literally that, yeah. you know, vague and amazing, obnoxious. And Naira, <laughs> and then I drew a poster of it and said, yeah, Naira would make this one day. And so, you know, like seven years later, we That's great. we were tasked, we said, let's make Paul, let's do it. We, yeah. So we wrote this script, which was, it, I, I think a lot more edgy than what eventually became the movie. It was it was a lot more, you know, we were dealing with a much much bigger budget than we've ever dealt yeah. with before. Paul yeah. himself cost I think twenty million dollars yeah, just just crazy. just the effect of which was wow. in, you know it was incredible worth every yeah, penny. But yeah, definitely. Um, so we were there was more kind of collaboration with. Um, certain powers you know to, yeah. to to make it more kind of friendlier less out there a little bit more kind of fun and, and i love i mean i'm very proud of paul I, yeah. greg matola who is a fantastic guy and a great director was such a lovely person to work with it has it has elements to it which i kind of would would have done differently yeah but um, I watched it the other night. It was on TV, and I just it just came on as, as sometimes the case, and and it, it just made me grin from ear to ear because yeah. I remember what a fun time it was, and and what an extraordinary experience making it's, the film was. Do you tend to have a certain lines or scenes that you kind of can't wait for people to see? I remember at at, at the premiere, Paul, the general eruption um, at the get away from her, you bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, and to, I mean, number one, to get to film that and to get to do that with Sigourney and everything yeah. must have been amazing. But are there things I like that? And, and the record scene you mentioned there is another a great one that you must have kind of known that that's gold there and you kind of can't wait for... Oh, yeah. You've, you've got to see this, this, well, this that, bit in particular. Yeah, in the writing process. I remember when we came up with the idea for Sigourney Weaver to play that part. Yeah. It was a man initially. It was yeah. just a kind of shadowy, you know, who we didn't really have any idea who was going to play this this sort of uber villain and um and then nick suddenly said oh, what if what if it's a woman and then we both went what if it's a weaver <laughs> and so the whole thing about that line get away from her you bitch it was one of those things we can't can we should we yeah will we and so we did beautiful. we wrote it in and we gave it to when we gave it gave it to sigourney to read and she came back and said yeah i like it i'll do it we couldn't believe it and that yeah. night we were up on the ski basin in Santa Fe. They they completely turfed a car park to look like the field where the ship yeah, lands. Yeah, yeah. And I remember her giving a line reading to uh, to Blythe Danner on how to say it, and telling us a story about how Amazing. Jim Cameron had only given a, given her one take. She, yeah. she'd only done one oh, take wow. of that. And uh, and she sort of and she did it. She sort of went no, and it's like you sort of go up at the end, get away from her, <laughs> you bitch. Like, so Nick and I were like. <laughs> Is this happening? This is insane. That's so great. And she was so, so lovely. Such a kind of team player. And she came to the UK and, you know, she was at the yeah, premiere. Yeah, 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 she, yeah. She, she just put someone, when you meet someone who you've admired most of your life and you discover them to be a really good person, it's always yeah. a relief, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. so how was it after the that, that huge US experience and numerous others, which we will get around to, to come back and complete the Cornetto tr- 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 trilogy and and what was the thought process there of and I think um, Eddie Marsden was an amazing addition yeah. to the team and just just there was how was it that whole process and to and to return and did, and did, did you feel pressure or nerves of it's the yeah. final one well we had weirdly we usually have an idea for the next film on the press tour for the pre-film before yeah, yeah, yeah. so 
on in Hot Fuzz, we were landing in Sydney, I think it was, and Edgar, we were talking about what it was like going home. You know, we'd just been yeah. we'd just been back to Wales to shoot Hot Fuzz, and we started. We suddenly thought, wouldn't it be funny if you went back to where you were born? Uh, where you grew up rather and it all felt really different and strange and you couldn't figure out why but it was because it had been taken over by robots it was like a kind of a joke yeah pitch and we started musing about this and it, it, it didn't go away and that was 2007 yeah and it was another five years before we wow. actually started we started to write it and but it was the easiest film of all of them to write. It yeah. just sort of, maybe it was because Edgar and I have developed a, a, a method now. Yeah. Or we're older. This film, The World's End was the most personal, the most kind of the relatable for, for me, certainly. And it just kind of, you know, there's that cliche, it wrote itself. It kind of did in a way. And, and it was... It was enormous fun, and to get the car, the cast that we got, yeah, was an absolute coup. We started writing the movie at one point. There is a version of the script that says Martin Freeman, Eddie Marzan, Paddy Considine. You know, we put them instead of the character names, so we could write for them properly. Oh wow! And we managed to get all our first choices. So it was um, that's amazing. Yeah, that must be a great feeling as well. It was to, super. To it was a hard that. shoot. Yeah, I mean, Edgar was in a in a quite a black mood for for a lot of it because he was so up against it, and he mm. Edgar always carries the weight on his shoulders, you know, because yeah. he's a perfectionist and and uh, and and a brilliant brilliant filmmaker, but he. F- feels the process when it's rough you know so he was very concentrated a lot of the time so nick and i were doing all the front of house we yeah. <laughs> were doing all yeah. the kind of keeping yeah, everyone yeah, happy yeah, yeah. hey guys yeah. just- <laughs> hey, don't worry about edgar he's fine he's just <laughs> solving a problem uh but it, it it turned out to be you know the very much the film that we wanted to make and, yeah. and the reaction that we got was everything we hoped for it must have been great to get that because again the pressure of it being on or, or knowing it's been built or become this trilogy, yeah, yeah, yeah. knowing this is the third one, and then for it to get the reaction it did get, yeah. for it to deliver, that must have been. It was hard a relief, because we I'd kept, imagine. you know, there were, there were we didn't shoot the fence gag until a reshoot. We didn't actually, yeah. we didn't think we could top Hot Fuzz. Yeah, we thought, yeah, let's yeah, not yeah. even bother trying. And then we wrote a couple of ideas, and it was like, oh, that's not going to work. And then we suddenly got, we'd seen the cut, and we thought, we it, it has to be in there, yeah, because it's a connective yeah, tissue. Yeah. You know, it has to, it has to be in there. And we even, you know, were toying with, we tried not to be too referential. Like the people said, oh, are you going to say, have you got blue on you? And it's yeah. like, well, no, because it would just it's be too much, too, much. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. too pleased with ourselves, you know. Yeah. And we were quite pleased with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but, just didn't um, want everyone to know that yeah, exactly. much. It wouldn't be too obvious about how pleased with <laughs> yeah. yourselves you were. But it was, um, it, was, it was a really important film for me and Edgar to make and, not least because we'd never made a third series of Spaced and yeah. we did want to and it was just time and tide and buttered eggs. Yeah. It just didn't happen. And it felt like if we made The World's End, we would have finally finished something, you know. Yeah. And um, and so the, the the feeling of completion when we, when we wrapped on that movie was emotional. It was really yeah. sort of, um, it felt, it felt strangely serene. It was... Um, Amazing. Yeah, it was great. Um this next sentence is a big one. You're in Star Trek. Yeah. It's all right, isn't it? How's It's quite fun. <laughs> How's that? How was that to get the call, to get the... That must have been mind-blowing, obviously. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it very... It's an insane role to get, and 
and again to get praise when it came out for it to have worked to have pulled yeah, it off. Yeah, I not it, to skip through the process of getting it, accepting it, playing. But it was a weird one to get. I mean, the, again, that was all Shaun of the Dead. JJ uh, Abrams saw Shaun of the Dead, and he called me. I, we were writing Hot Fuzz, and me and Edgar and I got a call coming that came through. Oh, JJ Abrams is online too, yeah. and I'm like, "What well, you like, Alias Man, the guy yeah. from?" Oh. And I and I, he was like, "Hey, introduce himself," and said, "Do you want to come and be in Mission Impossible 3? And yeah. and I'm I, I was I was intrigued to say the least. And uh, he said, "I've written this part, and I think it'd be really funny for you to do it." And um, JJ is very much like he 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 cuts through the bullshit. You know, yeah. he'll sort of he won't sort of put an, go through agents or anything. If if he can get hold of you, he'll talk to you so you get the full yeah. story. Here's what's going on? He's incredibly. It's inspiring to, in that uh, respect. Uh, uh, how is it to join the Mission Impossible team? Because that, again, it's another... Um, it's a de- kind of deceptively huge deal. It's yeah, a huge yeah, yeah. thing to, to to be involved in. It's a huge project. And, again, it's another one that I think they've consistently nailed it. Yeah, um, it's, it's a, a very yeah, eclectic... In a very odd manner. <laughs> they've just they've managed to... And yeah. when they added a, a you, I was like, right... I, don't know how that's. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a fan, but I, was like, I don't know how that's going to work. And then it just did. It worked perfectly, and it was yeah. a really. Well, I think the, the, the thing about Mission Impossible is, and this is a lot also down to Tom Cruise, is that he's been very canny and uh, clever about his directors, yeah. and so it, it feels because they were all so individual that you know it was Brian De Palma, and then it was John Woo, and then it was JJ, and then yeah. it was Brad Bird. Yeah, yeah. Now it's Chris McQuarrie. Each film has its own personality and as such doesn't feel like just a retread of the previous one. Yeah. It's like here's a new iteration. It's like a new kind of a whole new feel and a new hairstyle for Tom. He yeah. tends to change yeah. each time. <laughs> and um, so I walked into that one like, I mean, I did like two days on Mission Impossible yeah. 3. I had a couple of scenes. I went in, I was incredibly jet lagged, totally overwhelmed. I was, in, I was in a great space myself at the time. I was a little bit depressed and I, I was kind of in Hollywood thinking, this is so this here I am this is it and, yeah. and but not feeling it not not yeah, feeling yeah, at yeah. all kind of happy and uh but I went I had a great time met Jay loved JJ enjoyed the film went back did another day when I was in a slightly more equipped to kind of fathom it all yeah yeah and um and yeah and then it came out and I, and 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 it was crazy and I was in this big sort of movie and Edgar was I remember Edgar came to visit me on set and he was so kind of proud I've, never, I've, yeah. ne- I've only ever seen Edgar really starstruck once and that was when he met Tom Cruise how was I was working with Tom Cruise my complete opinion and perception of Cruise changed completely when I heard him on the Nerdist podcast because again <laughs> you can't really get a perception of Tom Cruise because he's Tom Cruise it's, it, yeah. it's a strange one it's like right I'd never really Although my view of him changed, I, I never really was aware of what my view of him was until then. And then it was like, wow, yeah. this guy's amazing. He's it's been because, consistently amazing. For- yeah, he, absolutely. He, it's because a lot of our opinions of Tom Cruise are formed by what we hear about yeah. Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah, and a lot yeah, of what yeah. we hear about Tom Cruise is conjecture and hearsay yeah. and, and hyperbole. And uh, he's actually a far less... People are always... The, funny thing, the funniest thing I hear about him is, oh, he's like an alien or something. Yeah. He's such <laughs> a normal person. That's the, what came across in the podcast was hearing him as, as just a film fan, him yeah. being really passionate about film, him being excited to be involved in these things rather than this strange yeah, yeah. creature. That At you- the root of it is it's not he's not complex. There's a very driven, very committed, extremely kind of you know uh, motivated person. Mm. But it's not he's not like a puzzle. 
he's he's just a, he's kind of a guy. He's in this extraordinary circumstance. He lives a yeah. bizarre life. He, he's not normal in that respect. Yeah, how could you be? But you but when you when you meet him when you hang out with him a lot, you know him immediately. Yeah, and he's uh, he's great. He's incredibly he's fun. He's really silly. He loves laughing. You know, he's kind of he's a bit he's a real giggler, and. Uh, but he does live this bizarre, rarefied life yeah, where he flies around in jets and, and but that's all he knows. And but he's committed his entire being to becoming that. Yeah, and that's why he is, you know, probably the last true movie star. I think in that yeah. working even even it's it's yeah that in that respect that he is a walking sort of mythology. But yeah, it's amazing. It's it's a lot of fun, and and you know when you work with him, it's it's going to be everything there's yeah. a lot of fist bumping yeah there's a lot of <laughs> i can imagine I mean, we were doing and i can imagine thinking about it being oh god but then being there being yeah oh, so, this is the best. Bit, when you're around him he's kind of it's infectious and you get yeah. kind of like you see, i've never said awesome so many times <laughs> yeah. in one day um but we yeah we were in morocco recently doing doing this car chase and he was driving this this car and he did all the stunt driving i was in the passenger seat wow. and we filmed this insane car chase and we were just screaming around these tiny little alleyways in Morocco and filming what will be a spectacular thing. But all the time, he kept putting my heat, my, my uh, seat heater on when I wasn't looking <laughs> so that I would suddenly start to get really warm and not know why. It was Morocco. But he, he, every now and again, he just... I, and I saw him do it one day. I said, are you fucking putting my seat on? And he's like, no, no. And then it became a little war between us of who would put each other's... Brilliant. I ended up going to get a little bit of tape and putting it over the light on his heater so he couldn't see that it was nice. on. Nice. So yeah, uh, on one hand he's like a kind of you know, on the other hand he's a, just he's a, a silly child. So, so how was it then working with JJ on on something as huge as as Star Trek? Um, that was a weird one because I got I I got an email from JJ. I know they were cast. I, I knew they were casting it. Yeah. I knew it was happening, and and I didn't think for a second I'd be in it because I figured it would all be bright young things, which it is to a degree. And then I just got this sort of exasperated email from JJ saying, "Oh, do you want to be Scotty?" And I and I kind of. <laughs> When I, I got angry at him, I was like, "What? You can't say that. You can't say just send. You can't just say that. Yeah. Give me something." And, and he said, "That's true. Do you want to do it?" And I kind of thought about it for like three days. I agonised about it because I said, "Oh no, am I going to be Scotty for my entire life and all this kind of stuff?" And and then JJ, he said, "Just said, look, you know, what's the worst thing going to happen? Every couple of years, we get to make a film and hang out, and yeah. it'll be fun." And I, yeah. I thought that's the of course. And what's wrong with being Scotty your yeah. entire life is it would be amazing. And so, again, it's another one that it blew me and everyone away that it delivered despite every character being so established like we know these characters as other people in other worlds and it was completely different but still completely true to what it had to be i think um urban killed it yeah and there was a lot of just everyone that are playing such iconic characters scotty is iconic you know but it felt okay it felt weirdly okay you didn't sit there feeling this is awkward or not right it felt weirdly i think because it it was a very clever way of 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 you know rebooting i know we hear that word all the time but you know to have to create a different sort of reality really where all those characters can become fresh again and you know all bets it's not this isn't what we saw on the tv show these are the same yeah. people but this is them in a different strand of time yeah, yeah, so completely. it was a it was a very clever way to bring them back and what we all realized we had to do was embody the spirit of what those actors had created but not impersonate them even carl who you know he does the closest thing to an impersonation because yeah. deforest kelly had that real gruff yeah. kind of and he plays that beautifully but it's not a parody that's what was amazing about 
each performance, yeah. I felt, was it, it, it was respectful of what had come before, but it wasn't just doing an impression of these people. Yeah. It was... It was kind of it, yeah. It was it was removing the actors from it and playing the characters. Yeah. So I the to, character remains the same. The character is there. You you're not doing an impression of that actor. You're doing an impression of or your interpretation of how they yeah yeah how that character it's like came oh, up he's and was a doctor built. and he's from the south and he's yeah. a, he's an engineer and he's from Scotland and you do I did what James Doohan did I guess which is to just to read the character bug and come up with you know because if you start doing. I mean, yeah, we do get to say a couple of the, you know, yeah. that kind of, the engines, can he take it? Yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to ever, particularly as I never got to meet, I did meet James Doohan, re- weirdly, at a comic convention in 2005, never knowing that the future we'd, you yeah. know. But I, met, I, I became friends with his son and I was always very keen for Chris to know that I was... I was filling his dad's shoes as best I could and yeah, not, not trying to do anything other than pay the greatest of respects to him, you know. Yeah. So, so what's JJ up to these days? He's not got anything that you might be in, in, interested in being involved in in any way. And in, any any emails or phone calls coming? He's just he's just uh, yeah. Well, I happen to live uh, fairly close to the M25, so it's not it's not a difficult journey for me to go to Pinewood, which I did several times this summer, and uh, it was quite an incredible. You know, I I, I completely abused my. Um, my friendship with JJ and yeah. that I was, uh, I became known as the Star Wars squatter. Yeah. And uh, it was extraordinary to, to, to see, to go down there and see it, you know, being made and being yeah. made with such love and attention, care and attention. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, it was extraordinary. And I, and I feel like it, 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 it couldn't be in better hands. It was very yeah. exciting when the, when the trailer came out because, um, you know, I'd seen a bit of it being made, and you know, to see people's reaction to BB-8, the the the, the rolling yeah, droid, yeah, yeah, yeah. was you know, because he is gonna he was gonna blow people away. Yeah. He really is, and uh, and to see all the practical effects, to see what I feel like is that with CG, it was a little bit like synthesizers. When synthesizers happened, everybody was like, "This is it. Guitars are dead. Drums are dead. Yeah. It's all going to be synth." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eventually, you know. It, it, it found its way into the pantheon of, of musical instruments, and 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 it became part of the process. It isn't. It didn't. It wasn't the be all and end all. Everything. Yeah. CG. It was the same thing. Everyone was. They were just CG. We just use CG. It, everything all the time. else is gone now. Nothing. You don't need masks or models anymore. And that period now has come to an end. And all the while, the physical effects industry has just been slowly improving and and reinventing itself and coming up with new techniques so that. This film will showcase a whole new era of of prop making and reality that's going to suddenly feel so kind of keen and vital because it it, it was there on the day. The yeah. thing that CG has a problem with is is presence. You know, is actually yeah. And and it's I say that having done a movie with a CG character, you know, yeah, and I yeah. lo- what Double Negative did with Paul was create. An incredible sort of you know very physical presence. He and what yeah. they did see that the, the thing with Paul that they'd animate stuff around him, socks on the floor, things that you wouldn't think right. were CG. So to bring it all yeah, into the it room, was very very more. clever. That's great. And yeah. CG and I'm not kind of like oh CG bemoaning it. It's not. It's an extraordinary tool. I think I think with all of these developments, they need to have their moment of explosion and yeah. then to be used artistically and well. I think I argue with people all the time who say oh I hate. Th- 3D. I think yeah. it's ridiculous to hate 
a whole thing. It's yeah. like w- when 3D is used well, d- Dread used 3D beautifully. And like yeah, numerous yeah, yeah. other films, uh, when it's used well, it's another amazing tool. But not everything has... And same with CG. When it's used well and used correctly, exactly. and it will continue to be a beautiful addition. But not everything... It's great that people are realising that not everything has to be totally. CG. You can have and that And there will be... C- I mean, you know, there will be CG in, in the new Star Wars and it will be done really, really well. Yeah. And it, but the combination... I mean, you look back at Jurassic Park and it still holds up. The nice, It's so. 20 years old, that film is. Yeah. And that T-Rex sequence still insane, holds up and it's because it was a big animatronic are you, dinosaur are you, are you excited about a Jurassic World I am I find the trailer a little bit I was I, I was and this is you know I'm sure it's going to be great the trailer felt I think what they did and they did it with the Terminator trailer as well was they they did a, there was a lot of nostalgia in it so they yeah. linked back there were yeah. quite, there were shots the shot of the Gallimimus dinosaurs running across the field was almost exactly the same as when they were chasing yeah. Sam yeah, Neill yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I felt like, oh, you don't need to do that. You could show some new stuff. Um, I, yeah, of course I am. I, 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 I'll go and see it, absolutely. But I, the trailer didn't blow me away. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I kind of had, though, that I think because of who was involved and because of I, I love Chris Pratt, I love a, a, a yeah, lot of the people putting yeah. this together, I felt they could have showed me anything in that trailer and I'd still be... Yeah. All they had to show was a release date at the end of it. Yeah. That, that had me going... Like a teaser. It's like the, here, it's almost here. That the was Star Wars kind of one was, yeah. was, you know, that was how to do a teaser trailer. You show yeah. nothing and everything. What, what are you most excited about at the moment? Is there anything kind of on the on the cards other than Star Wars that you're like... Well, we just got... This, this is this is a fun season for me because as a BAFTA member, I get to you know, get sent all the screeners, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Inherent Vice just arrived, which was the, right. which is the Paul Thomas Anderson film, which oh, I wow. cannot wait to see. Yeah, um, it's exciting. I watched, what did I watch the other day? I watched Mr. Turner, which I thought was incredible. Yeah. And I watched Under the Skin, which uh, was just mind-bendingly I good. I love the fact that, un- that a film like Under the Skin exists with yeah. people of that size. We've like it's, it's the kind of thing that, uh, not to downplay it in any way, but I think... That added to it hugely. If this was just a, if if that film was made um, on completely low budget, completely unknown, I'd think it's great. But yeah. it was kind of the fact that I saw that in a cinema yeah. in real life. I didn't see this on a DVD that someone had brought round. It was like this is amazing. That yeah, this is yeah, actually yeah. this can get made and has been made. And it's good actually to remember that you know people get very sort of. Um, you know, the whole thing about, oh, everything's a superhero and all this kind of stuff. The f- good films are still being made. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of superhero films, but you don't have to go see them. No. And there, there, there are, there is still, thankfully, a platform for originality and, you know, stuff which is challenging. And, and you know, I love the fact that uh, there would have been roomfuls of people just staring at the screen, watching, just being completely terrified and yeah. and, and and disturbed by that movie because it shouldn't always be easy. You know? I completely enjoyed looking around the room whilst watching it and seeing a lot of some people confused, some people like, well, "What is this rubbish?" Some people like, "Oh my god, this is the most yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. thing I've ever seen." So yeah, I lo- I mean, more and more, I feel like you know, there's I want to do stuff which isn't isn't necessarily comfortable. I, yeah. You know, I, with, you know, with, with, with all of the, with, with Sean and Hot Fuzz and the world's end, they all end with, with kind of slightly downbeat endings because it's not always a good thing to leave the cinema happy. Yeah. Because then when, then you forget what you've just seen in a way, if you're challenged, even if it's only slightly like Sean of the dead, there's that weird thing of his friend's dead, but he's still with him and does his missus know. And, yeah. 
is this right? And is he going to end up getting bitten? And in Hot Fuzz, there's this weird sort of, you know, the regime of the NWA has been replaced by this slightly fascistic police state where yeah. our heroes are now these kind of slightly worrying hippie bashers. And at the end of The World's End, you have this bizarre thing where Gary is seems to be fighting against humanity, you know, when he when he spent the whole film saving it. And yeah. I like the idea of upsetting people a bit. Yeah, completely. Remind, this is going to annoy everyone listening now. Remind me at the end, there's, there's a comment I need to add to that that I can't do on 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 on, on, on record at the moment. But there's, okay. there's something I wanted to... That's along them lines. I'm just doing that as a teaser now. Yeah. But it's about something that's not announced yet. But... Um, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about comics? Yes. You're a comic book fan. What do you enjoy? On the podcast, we've had Warren Ellis, we've had Alan Moore. And, oh, great. Yeah, kind of are looking to get more along the line is, is something that people seem to engage in. What uh, what comics were you into as a kid and kind of what are you into now as a as a grown kid? I um, Well, I was always a fan. I used to get the Marvel, um, the UK Marvel Hulk Weekly when, in 1977. Mm. That was the first sort of... Marvel title that I got and that had in it weirdly a, a, a strip called Night Raven which Alan Moore wrote it was like right, a yeah. progenitor to uh, a precursor to um, FIFA Vendetta yeah. and um, I always remember being completely terrified by it as a seven year old kid because it was Alan Moore writing yeah, it yeah yeah that's how he writes yeah and uh, and then I grew up you know and then 2000 AD and um, various titles and graphic novels and I tend to read trade paperbacks now I don't read as many comics as I used to. Yeah. I, don't, I certainly don't collect them anymore um, just because I, I have other things to do yeah, now. It's not, I haven't grown out of it. Yeah, I, yeah, still, yeah. I still love a good comic book. But, yeah, it's someone like Alan Moore is is, is someone I, who, whose genius I marvel at. Consistently you know? it, it, great. Yeah. How was it? I mean, this is going to annoy people now because I've mentioned it three in three different podcasts, but it's, it's, it's one of my favourite books in recent years. And part of the reason I had it recommended and when I flicked through on the opening page it talked about how the first or one of the characters is based on Mr Simon Pegg and you wrote about so the boys it's it's one of my favorite books of recent years how did that come about how what was it were you did they kind of just con did it's it's Garth Ennis and and was it just contact no it was it was it was um, all right if we or we have (laughs) it was Derek Robinson who was the artist who um, of course it would be yeah who 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 based we Huey on me and and just and I think he'd seen space and I always say it's kind of like a backhanded compliment because it's like he thought oh he'll never (laughs) never, (laughs) it's not like he's ever gonna get famous but um, yeah I ended up having to sign a DC got all but when DC still had it you know they they they, it was too hot to handle for them eventually but um they sent me a form to sort of like allow them to use my likeness without me ever suing them i should have just said no but um not that i ever would i I just heard about it and thought oh that's nice that's That's cool cool. yeah exactly How, how, how flattering and um Again, it's the wonder of the real world versus yeah. the lawyer's world and the celebrity world. It's like, in reality, you'd yeah. hear about that and go, oh, wicked. Exactly. Whereas someone somewhere, an agent or something, might be going, well, we need to look into this. this yeah, is, like, panicking. No, it's, it's cool. It's I so remember cool. I was, when I was on the set of Star Trek Into Darkness and I, I said to, um, I was sat with, uh, Peter Weller, who plays the sort of admiral, uh, the, 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 the evil patriarch, mm. I guess, in the movie. And I said, uh, we were just chatting. I said, have you ever heard uh, Silver Bullet, 20 Seconds to Comply? He was like, no. I went, oh, you should listen to it. It's uh, it's brilliant. It's got loads of samples from Robocop in it. And he went, what? And I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he said, oh, is, was my voice in it? I'm like, no. 
I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I suddenly panicked. I suddenly thought that Silver Bullet would get sued retroactively. Um, I mean, we're just over the hour mark, as so we'll start to, to wrap up soon. But music is a good point to kind of talk about because that's how how we kind of got in contact. Because you and 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 Twitter, I guess you and Nick were doing a takeover on Six Music, and you played a uh, one of mine and Dan's songs, yeah. and that was amazing for us. Again, forgetting that people that we're fans of are fans of stuff as well. So yeah, it's kind of a beautiful yeah. moment to go, all right, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. like you too. Right, you know, so, so you've always been a big music fan. What's been your... Yeah, well, my dad's, my dad's a musician. I think you can probably hear why my dog's barking in the background there. Yeah, no, it's good. I um, like it. My dad's a musician and he's always been... Um, so I've always been around music growing yeah. up and, um, and it's continued to be an extremely important part of my life. Six music, talking of which, I think is... It's such an extraordinary resource at the moment because yeah. it's it's suddenly suddenly there is a, as a there is a radio station which is to other radio stations what John Peel was to other DJs you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels like the only radio station really yeah. that should be listened to <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah it kind of is it's allowed to 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 blaze a trail yeah right? I listen to it all the time times. because I I get to hear all my new music generally through that I get to pick yeah. up on uh, you know what's happening who's coming through and so because I, I try and stay you know, there are bands which I've always liked and always will like, and, you know, Beatles and Pixies and yeah, yeah, of course. Whoever, Nirvana or whatever. Just a band. But it's <laughs> nevertheless. Uh, you know, and, and so it's kind of... Um, it's just an ever, it's an ever changing, ever moving thing. It's, yeah. it's... I remember I saw... I think the video I saw for Look for the Woman, I think it was, on, yeah. on MTV was just on one day. This is going back now, when we got into you. And uh, it was on... What was it on? It, it might have been on... MTV Two or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It was anyway. It was such a great video with the you know with yeah. the, the angel, the kind of wings of desire it, kind of. It invert, inadvertently gave me one of my favourite moments, and it was again. It was at the pool premiere, and I was standing with um, a mutual friend of ours who really wanted to go over and talk to to Miss Wig. Was was very keen to go oh, and, really? and chat, and kept saying, "I'm going to go in a minute. I'm going to go." And I I was having to head home to meet my girlfriend, um, so I came to say goodbye to you, and he he hadn't come and said hello the whole time. So I start to walk off, and she kind of turned me went. Are you the guy that did that video? And and you'd played her. I did. Um, yeah, I played uh, it to her on the set of Paul. And she was so. And I just, I kept looking over, just thinking, I'm nailing it. Here. Just, just, <laughs> just chatted. And it, it was like it was set up to give me a big head because she talked about the track and it was like, and I mean, who came up with that idea? I was like. Yeah, I came up with the idea. I worked with this guy Nick through. Um, and it's just, it was such a good moment of. Right, I'm out, guys. That's, uh, that's my exit. I think that's I've, when you I've drop the, the mic exit. and you yeah, leave the stage. Exactly that. I remember that we were what we were. We were me and Kristen <laughs> were sitting on set, and we were sort of like we had our computers open, and we were switch sharing music. Yeah, and yeah. she, I don't know, she gave me like a band of horses album or something, and I said, "I'll oh, watch this video." And we pulled it up on YouTube, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it's really it's amazing. Sweet. It was a great moment, a Excellent. memorable one. So, what is what is ahead for you? Obviously, your schedule's always r- r- rammed. What are you? Yeah, when these the dogs plans? catch me, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> well, I've got Mission Impossible Five that I'm doing at the moment. Then there's Star Trek Three, uh, which will go uh, next year in the summer. I think we're going to start shooting that. Amazing. It all depends on you know. Uh, is that an ex- is has that become a regular you know a work type thing now? Yeah, or is yeah, it still as like, exciting? To oh be no, like, oh, god, it's, it's always Creed exciting because it's a great. But I love those. The, every one of those guys in that film is is. Yeah. is a real diamond. I think, you I know? think it's the announcing of JJ doing the Star Trek films 
was the only way people wouldn't have been cynical about the Star Trek films because of the, yeah, how yeah, he yeah. handled Star Trek. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. it kind of put everyone at ease of... Star Wars, oh, you mean? Star Wars, sorry, yeah. This is going to be staying fun on the podcast. Hey, Myrtle, shut up. Let's <laughs> <laughs> calm down. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, it kind of... Yeah, it's, it's 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 always it's always fun to get back with those people because they're uh, it's a lot of fun. Every I, I was I was you know when I walked into that I came in late in the shoot on the first Star Trek, not knowing any of them, you know, yeah. and, um, and I was expecting maybe some uh, some cocky young things, and they're all really really down to earth, very sort yeah. of you know level headed, cool kind of people, and 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 when we all get together, it's it, it gels very nicely. So I'm very excited about that. That's great. And a couple of films are coming out. I got this Monty Python one's coming out. The absolutely anything oh, is going to be out. And this film I did, Man Up, and um, yeah, so a few things. But some yeah, bobs. that's exciting. Well, thank you very much for, for allowing me here to it chat. It was a pleasure. We're, Thanks for um, coming. I will now run across the fields and be chased by dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, eaten alive as 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 we do every Christmas. So yeah, thank <laughs> you very much. Merry Christmas, all. There we go. The Christmas special distraction pieces podcast has come to an end and it's an emotional one, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to tell you about a load of stuff that's ahead because I think it's going to sound odd, but I think it's really time if you haven't subscribed, are you you subscribe? And I'm going to tell you why now. Basically in the new year, I'm going to tell you a few of our guests in the new year and then I'm going to tell you our next couple of guests which are hugely important at the moment so in the new year we have got Stuart Lee lined up which I in my opinion he's the greatest uh, a living British stand-up I absolutely adore um, his work so that's going to be exciting he doesn't do an awful lot of interviews so yes Stuart Lee we've also got J- Josie Long lined up we've got Ben Goldacre lined up uh, we've got MMA fighter and legend Dan Hardy lined up um who else there's so many people we've got have agreed to do it now amanda palmer when she's over um is gonna do it uh, i'm trying to wreck my brain but yeah there's a lot of good people rufus hound um which is going to be a fantastic chat about his kind of switch from comedy to 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 the west end and the huge success that have come with that um so yeah there's a lot of people but equally exciting is the next two weeks because next week We've got Killer Mike, who is a rapper in um, one of the biggest rap groups of the year, Run the Jewels. They've just, their album won Album of the Year on Pitchfork. Um, they've basically been absolutely killing it. They got snapped up by Nas's label. Um, and yeah, have been going crazy. But also, he's also become one of the the loudest and, in my opinion, most important voices on what's going on in America at the moment with F- Ferguson, with... Michael Brown with Eric Garner with all of that going on and we sat down and had a chat after one of his shows and it's one of the most inspirational things I've heard one of the things I'm most proud to be part of he speaks so intelligently articulately and logically on the problems in the world and society at the moment and we discuss how it isn't a black problem or an American problem it's a global human problem um so that's absolutely fascinating and then our first podcast of the new year equally exciting is with will and phoebe 
who who run who work at and run a website called Fourth fact.org and their job is basically to to fact check stuff in this world where we rely on information from blogs and from wikipedia and it's again we've recorded this one already it's an amazing chat because it's amazing how impactful the lack of fact checking and sourcing is um in the world now to the extent of they've had stuff um change they've had laws that have gone through in parliament changed because they've then said look the facts that you're you're going off of aren't accurate um and we discuss all of that and equally just all of you will have seen your someone you know share something from britain first which is where i found out about them there was an article on britain first um which was clearly um incendiary rubbish um and they had a page on that explaining the actual f- facts behind it. So, yeah, really exciting ones coming up. Hope you enjoy all of them and hope you keep subscribing, d- d- downloading, uh, listening, enjoying on Acast, which I'm sure a lot of you are on now. Um, I'm loving that. Basically, if you don't know, I've mentioned it in previous podcasts, if you don't know, if you're listening on the Acast app, or I'm trying, I think I've put it on the website now and I've updated as many as I can. While we're talking, a little kind of a links will come up for more information on what we're talking about if you want them now i have to go through and put these in personally so they take a little while so a few of the older ones are taking a while to update and and get the links in but all the new ones are being uploaded with links in so in this one for example where we were talking about um big train there'll be a link leading you to more about big train or to buy the big train dvd and so on and so forth um so yeah that's really exciting so check acast out the app is free um I love it, but I'm not going to hard sell it to you because that's not my job. Um, So, yeah, I will see you all next week, hopefully. Um, Have a good Christmas. Be good. Um, Be nice, not naughty. Um, And I'll see you next week for the Killer Mike podcast. So check that out and, uh, yeah, see you in a bit. Bye. Actually, before I go, I should also mention that you can hit me up at at ScroobiusPipi on Twitter um, because despite... Simon deciding that Twitter is evil I still love it um, so it's at Scroobius Pip on Twitter Instagram and Facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip come request guests chat generally interact and have a great Christmas <laughs> <laughs>